0: All right, let's get started. Now, this is the Master Passive Income Podcast. My name's Dustin Heiner, I'm your show host, and we are gonna be looking all about real estate rental properties and how we can make enough money every single month from the passive income, the cash flow, the positive money that's coming in your pocket every single month, from the rents that you receive from your properties. Now, last week, we talked all about the six ways that you make money with real estate rental properties. If you haven't heard that session, go back and listen to it. That's podcast session 028. Number 28 is the podcast session. Go back and listen to it. It It's fantastic how many ways you make money with real estate. Now, today, I have a special treat for you. I have a fellow investor. His name's Michael, and I recently met him and was really, really excited to hear all the good things and also all some of the negative things that has happened to him in his real estate business because we can learn a lot from other investors, how other investors invest, the mistakes that they made, the wins that they've made, the good things and the bad things. And so we're gonna be talking with Michael to see how he built his business from scratch and also how he has even worked with other investors to buy big multi-unit apartment complexes. Now Michael is a great investor that we're gonna be learning a lot from. Now let's jump into today's session where we learn from Michael and everything that he's done in his real estate rental property business so we can implement into ours. All right, let's get started and start the show.
1: Welcome to the Master Passive Income Podcast, where we talk about all aspects of real estate rental properties with a special focus on making enough money so you can quit your job, and live the dream life. And now, here is your host, Dustin Heiner.
0: All right, everybody, thank you so much for being here with me. I have today a great person that is going to help us to understand what he has done with his investing business and how he's um, really been building a business and having ups and downs at the same time. But I have Michael H. And H is not really his last name. He actually has a full last name. But if you check out his website, he literally puts out his entire portfolio of all the money he invests and in, all the money he actually has in his net worth. So that's why he abbreviates his last name. But anyways, Michael H is here with me. He's a guy that I met at a conference recently. Um, it's a financial bloggers conference. He's a great guy. He and I hit it off really, really well. And I thought, man, his story needs to be uh, told. And we need to have our audience hear what he has to say because he's learned a lot and has done a lot. So anyways, Michael, thank you so much for being here on the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Dustin. It's my pleasure.
0: Awesome. So tell me a little bit about before we get into any real estate or business or anything like that. Tell me a little bit about you, you know, wife and kids and what you like to do and all that
1: good stuff. Sure, sure. So I live here in sunny San Diego. I love it down here. I came down here for college about 20 years ago and uh, just never left. It's, uh, it's a perfect environment because I love to fish. There's tons of lakes and lots of beaches and places to go fishing. So uh, most of the family's up in Los Angeles, so it's close enough to go visit, but uh, you know, far enough away that I can have my own little life here. I've got a wife and uh, two kids.
0: That's awesome. What do you guys like to do other than fishing? Do you, like as a family, do you guys do anything particular?
1: Uh, yeah, we, we love traveling. Uh, traveling around. We love eating. Um, so sometimes we travel and go search things out to eat. Um, and yeah, just really spending time together as a family is really um, what I love to do, kind of creating lots of experiences. Absolutely. Great. How old are your daughters? Um, so I've got one daughter that's six. Oh, one daughter. Okay. I've got a, got a son that's four.
0: Son, Okay. You have a son and daughter, six and four. Awesome. Now, what got you started investing in real estate and how long ago was that?
1: Yeah, no, it's been a while now. It's I I think my first property that I ever bought was in 2010, <clears throat> and what really kind of I think keyed me into it was uh, when I was growing up, I had a couple uncles that had done <clears throat> pretty well for themselves, and back then, before the term fire was available, um, you know, I had these uncles that basically didn't work, and I was like, what are you guys doing? Um, and most of them had been doing real estate. So I was like, okay, that's interesting. One guy was doing more commercial and another guy was doing a bunch of single family homes and apartments. And I was like, you know what? I got to get into that when I'm, you know, just at a young age, I was like, you know, something caught my my brain. I was like, I got to do that someday. Um, so when I got to school, at a college, um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I didn't really feel comfortable at that point pursuing real estate, even though that was definitely one of the greater goals. And so I went into the IT business um, simply because I was a gamer back in uh, college. <laughs> so used to tear apart computers and whatnot, and that's how I landed in the IT world. And uh, I worked for a company for about a year and a half or so, and this is right before the dot-com, I guess, crash happened. And so 9-11 hit, and the company that I was working for basically imploded. And fortunately for me, um, during that chaos, an opportunity arose where, you know, I was like, I think it was about the sixth round of layoffs. And I was like, do I really want to stick around and see what happens? And I was like, no, thanks. So I actually told a couple other guys, I said, hey, why don't we just leave and do our own thing? And uh, they were willing. We were pretty young at the time. I was in my young 20s. And we started our own IT support company. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how it happened. We basically ran that for a good 10 years before selling the business. And along the way, I was saving money and also investing slowly in real estate. And that's kind of how I got my start. I just wanted to be able to diversify some of those income streams along the way.
0: That's brilliant. Good for you. And uh, really quickly, how, what was it like selling a business selling a, a decent sized business, especially a technology business? Is there any lessons learned or anything we could you could share with us?
1: Uh yeah, I mean it's it's like anything else. It's actually similar to real estate in some regards, you know. Basically the business is worth whatever someone's willing to pay for it um in that regard. So there's there's a lot of different strategies I think in terms of how you can go out and sell a business. We had actually come into a couple of unsolicited offers initially and then from there I basically went out and I marketed the business and got a couple more that I basically um, found, and then you kind of play them off of each other and, and create a little bit of a bidding war. So again, not too, unfamiliar, you know, unsimilar to real estate. And, you know, if you're selling a property, you can create that demand. Sometimes obviously it depends on the market conditions. I love it. That's fantastic. Good
0: for you. So from, did you, did you buy your first property while you still had your business or was it after you sold it?
1: Um, I did. It was in 2010 and I was about maybe, I think eight years into the business, maybe nine years or so. And I'd really wanted to actually purchase my first real estate income property, probably back in 2005 was when I really started getting interested in it. Um, but at that time, the market was going kind of crazy. We were in really, we were in a decent bull run at that time, and the property values um, were pretty high, and the rents were, you know, not necessarily keeping up with the property values relative to, you know, making a cash flow deal, and so. You know, there was a ton of people that were just getting in. They were speculating. I was pretty new at the time. I didn't really quite understand everything, but I, I definitely understood the numbers. Um, and I was like, well, this is not really penciling out. So I waited probably a good, well, it was four or five years before I actually pulled the trigger um, and watched basically the market crash in 08 and everything topple down. And so finally in 2010, um, I was like, I got to get in. <laughs> It's a great time
0: to get in. Yeah, 2010 was one of the best times in recent memory to get into real estate. So good job
1: with that. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, and, and part of that, you know, was a little bit of, not, I don't know if it was necessarily luck, but it was, you know, definitely just kind of watching things. But at the time, you know, things are crashing around. You, everyone's like saying, "Oh, you know, don't invest in property," and you just kind of have to not listen to the noise and trust the numbers.
0: Absolutely. Completely, completely agree. And I like the way Warren Buffett likes to say, I think it's something a qu- attributed to him, but basically, you want to buy when there's blood in the streets. You know, you want to buy when people are selling and sell when people are buying. And in 2010, I bought Uh, I bought a property and it appreciated like a hundred thousand dollars. I think I bought it for like 200 and it appreciated up to like 320 and I finally sold the property. It was, it was fantastic. So um, definitely when people are selling, uh, you want to be buying when people are buying, you want to be selling. So good, good for you. Now, when you bought your first property, um, where was it? How can you tell me the, the details of like how much you bought it for and, and you know how that played out and just tell us about that first property.
1: Absolutely. So I live in San Diego, as I mentioned. And initially, I started looking for properties around the general area of San Diego. And what I found quickly was that none of the properties really cash flowed. A lot of people were out there trying to invest in appreciation. uh, But I was really after cash flow deals because I didn't want to basically gamble with my money. So I started looking in other areas across the United States. I looked in actually where you're at in Phoenix. I looked in Las Vegas, I looked in uh, Texas, I, looked in, I think it was in Dallas and Austin, I looked in Oklahoma City and Florida and a couple other places and I actually flew out to a number of these different places just to kind of get a feel for the area. And they were all actually really pretty decent areas at the time, um, but ultimately I landed in Las Vegas and the reason why was because it's pretty close, relatively speaking, I could take a quick flight over, there's tons of flights, It's it's pretty cheap, not that you know, I go out there to look at the properties anymore, but it was close enough where I could drive out if I needed to, if I could fly out, and it was somewhere that I kind of was familiar with already to a certain extent. So and that's how fine. I ended up looking at that. that you were, yeah, you
0: were, so you were fine with um, the idea of having a property manager then?
1: Oh, absolutely. And that was definitely something that I wanted, um, I think, from the get-go, because I realized after running the business, you kind of figure out that at a certain point, if you want to scale that you need a team behind you. And I think real estate's the same exact kind of concepts um, in the sense of building a team and being able to scale it. And I was not interested in basically managing you know, any of the properties. I had done some property management basically back in college. Uh, my dad basically ran a portfolio for some family-run properties before, and I kind of got yanked into that at some point. Um, When my dad had a stroke, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to ever do this myself. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to make sure there's enough margin built in so I can hire someone to do it.
0: Absolutely. I completely wholeheartedly, I hate managing properties. I love having property managers. I love paying them and I hate paying anybody, but I love paying them and my accountants. I love paying those two, (laughs) those two people because they, they make my life so much easier. So how much did you, well, first, how did you find it? And two, how much did you buy it for? And what were the rents? And, you know, tell us,
1: talk us about the numbers and how you found it too. Sure. Sure. So, um, there was one area in the Southwest area of Las Vegas, uh, Las Vegas kind of set up in a little bit of a grid. So in the areas, I think the Southwest at the time was kind of like one of the more active um, neighborhoods kind of being built out. And uh, so there's a lot of of new development going in. I didn't really want to buy a fixer-upper at that point. Um, Obviously, there was more potential, obviously, if you did that. But for me, um, you know, I was still running my business. I wanted something simple that I could just buy and basically um, roll over and hand over the keys to the property manager. So there was this area in the Southwest section of Las Vegas that had really grown um, back in 08, and then when the crash hit, you know, things just basically dropped, probably 60%, 70% in value. Um, so I really started focusing on that area, really got familiar with the numbers. The re- the, I think the initial way that I s- first started getting ideas on numbers was I went to Zip Realty, which you know, is a site that was basically just you know, publishing MLS data. And uh, really got familiar with the numbers before anything. Eventually, I went out to Las Vegas. I got an agent and started looking at properties, and then I just started making offers. And it wasn't until I think the maybe fifteenth offer that I made that I actually got one accepted. And so that property was about one hundred and twenty thousand dollars, and the it should have rented out for right around eleven fifty at the time. And the size of the place was about three bedrooms, two baths, about 1,600 square feet or so.
0: That sounds great. So when you flew out there, well, let me... uh... With flying out there, do you feel like it's a necessity to fly out and actually be there or would that be something that you can, you know, if you wanted to go into a whole brand new area, do you need to fly into that new area or would you just be calling up real estate agents and having them look for you and send you pictures? Like, would you be able, do you feel strong enough or um, risky enough, I guess, to invest in a whole brand new area without even flying
1: there? Sure. No, that that's a fantastic question. I think at this point, I would be comfortable doing that without flying there at the time, though, because I was just getting into real estate. I really kind of wanted to get my hands wet and dirty to a certain extent. So that, I think for me, I had a you know low risk tolerance. I didn't want to you know just jump into something. And that's one thing that you know you probably talk to um, to your listeners or whatnot about. I think there's something called analysis paralysis when you just <laughs> analyze something to death and then you never pull the trigger. Yep. Um, I've definitely suffered from that to a certain extent, even with real estate. Um, and, you know, it was good, obviously, that I waited to the crash. But, you know, in other senses, like it took me like five years to, you know, find my first deal. And although, you know, it was harder to find deals during the times when um, the market was appreciating, there's still deals out there. And I think I had a mental block in that capacity. And I just kept, you know, running my numbers saying it, there's, it doesn't exist right now. So I'll just wait. So
0: what went through your head and uh, walk us through any roadblocks. I know you you said analysis paralysis, which is absolutely right. When you, you're, you're just, you have so many numbers, you have so many properties, you have so many thoughts going through your head that you don't really pull the trigger when a good deal comes. So, um, how did you get past that? And then also what, uh, along with that is, was your wife on board? Was it hard to get her to be okay with investing and you starting a whole new section of, you know, your life investing in real estate?
1: Yeah. Great question. Um, thankfully my wife is, was on board from the get go. Um, we'd been together since college and she always kind of knew that I was pretty entrepreneurial and wanted to kind of grow a business and invest in real estate. So she was pretty open. She didn't really want to have anything to do with it per se. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, she came out and looked at some properties here and there. Um, uh, but she didn't really care. So she's <laughs> like, you know, you can, as long as you're not losing money, then exactly. <laughs> knock yourself out. So of course the first thing I did was go lose some money and, uh, Funny story with that, back to the first property that I ever purchased, um, <clears throat> basically, I ran the numbers and it was going to pencil out at about two hundred to three hundred dollars positive cash flow and um, lo and behold i you know i'm I'm a pretty big details guy. I was the cFO of the company initially, then I became the president of the company that i that I ran so i was pretty I was pretty involved with reading legal docs, all these different things, and for whatever reason. Um, one day when the escrow was going through with the property, the first property I purchased, um, the HOA disclosures came through, and there was a whole section that I missed about rental exclusions. So what happened was my first technically rental property was not a rental property. It became a second home because I couldn't actually rent it out.
0: That is absolutely <laughs> crazy that they would actually have that in there. You cannot rent it out. And then, uh, well, I got to ask the question. So were you able to actually, um, you got the documents, right? Before you bought the property, you saw what it was going to look like and, and um, or you saw what is in the documents. So you had the ability to read that beforehand.
1: I did. I did. And one of the things that, yeah, just, I think for people to make sure that they do when they're going into it, um, you know, just consider that there's possibilities beyond what you think are there. Um, obviously, you don't know what you don't know, but um, take that extra time or find a mentor or a coach or someone that can help you to basically, you know, ensure everything's, you know, up to snuff, so to speak. And, uh, you know, one thing, one reason why I did actually miss it as well was because I went in purchasing the property as a second home because I wanted the lower interest rate um knowing full well that I was going to basically flip it and turn it into a rental you know very soon thereafter but you know I kind of lost sight of you know really focusing on you know some of the basics obviously to a certain extent
0: well um, that that is such a uh, it's not a minor detail but you can easily miss that because uh, number one you don't assume that any t- any place you are not going to be allowed to rent your property. But number two, most homeowners insurance, or sorry, homeowners associations, don't have that exclusion in there. They don't have that. that um, so you normally would not even think to look at that. But you're right. If you uh, now, that's something for our listeners. That if and ever you are going to get a house with an HOA, you want to look at every single line item in there. It could be well. Here's one. One of my properties. The HOA can literally tell me to paint my house at any given point. Like we don't like the paint color, we're changing the paint color. You you need to change. You need to paint your house. (laughs) You can make me paint my house. How ridiculous is that? Now another one even bigger. You're starting a business. You're buying a property like you did, Michael, and buy a first property, and then you can't rent it out. Oh my goodness, that is so (laughs) rough. So how did you um, how did you get out? Like what was the escape out of this one property? And what did
1: you do after that? Sure, sure. And, and just one other side kind of quick note to that. One of the things, too, was there was actually people renting out the property even though they couldn't rent it out. And so I was online looking at people rent out their properties in the same community. So I just assumed, you know, obviously shouldn't assume, but I assumed that I could rent it out because other people were doing it. Lo and behold, I found out later on, you know, basically they got shut down and they weren't able to. Um, but so, so here's the good news. It was obviously a very expensive lesson up front and i couldn't rent it out at all so i was basically paying the entire mortgage out of my pocket and luckily it was a relatively you know inexpensive home for me because i was in california but what happened ultimately because i bought in 2010 you know ultimately the market appreciated decently over the last like several years and i was actually you know able to get my money back uh just simply by the appreciation now obviously there's a little luck involved with that because you know things had just stayed flat or or whatnot, you know, I couldn't have gotten my money back out, you know, that quickly. But I was like, well, I'm in no rush necessarily. I can, I can afford the, the, the negative. Although I was, I was cringing every time I saw the negative. <laughs> um, <laughs> but ultimately, I, I sold that one off. And here's, the, here's the good news about this. I actually ended up buying the property across the street. That's in a different community. Had the exact same numbers. It was the same size, same price, and it was. Exactly what I had projected in terms of the monthly profit—about two hundred, three hundred dollars a month, you know, before any tax benefits—and uh, you know that property is, has been great, and I still hold that property today. It's appreciated now. I think about eighty percent um, since wow. I purchased it, and uh, and it's got the cash flow. So you know, even though I <laughs> royally screwed up in the first one, all the due diligence that I did for that first one transferred over to the next one. Um, so I think. Just, you know, for your listeners, I think the lesson here is that, you know, even though you, you, you may screw up and hopefully you don't have the biggest of screw up as I did, but even if you have little ones along the way, you know, don't get discouraged. Just keep pushing forward and being persistent. And, you know, over time you're going to be able to, to do well.
0: That's a great point. That, that's a great takeaway for everybody. Now, are you currently buying more properties? And with that, um, if you are, where are you in buying?
1: Sure. So, um, currently, I haven't been really active with single-family homes. Uh, reason being is I've been home the last few years once I sold a business with my kids. And so, I really haven't been actively looking. Um, what I did do, though, was once I came home and I was with my kids um, during the daytime, I decided at nighttime I would start blogging and do doing my real estate activities at night. So, I'd go on late at night and I'd look at you know different deals that are available and I started stumbling upon crowdfunding real estate investing, which is you know basically a way for people to pool their money and purchase a property or you know a portfolio of properties, <clears throat> so that you can basically get small fractional ownerships in a deal. And so I started doing some crowdfunding through a company called Realty Shares. And so basically, I was—I think I did about ten or so. And the ones that I really liked, this was maybe like three or four years ago, is they would go into a really high net worth type of, like, I think it was like Beverly Hills and Brentwood in California. And those are like really expensive areas, but they would find these homes that were like really old, maybe like 50, 60 years old. They would knock down this old house and throw up some, you know, crazy mansion. And they were selling it at like, you know, crazy appreciating prices because the markets were going off at that time. Um, So I was getting pretty good returns and IRs of about 18% or so. Um, That's great. Yeah, and and those deals were were fantastic at the time. They've since um, dried up at this point. And so now at this point, I've been pretty, you know, sitting on the sidelines to a certain extent, watching the the markets go up. Um, I have invested in some syndications. Last year I invested in some apartments in San Antonio, Texas. Um, There was about 180 units that. Um, that, I, that I invested in with some other people, and but that 's pretty much, yeah, all I 've done recently.
0: Got it. Now the the things like you talked about the realty shares, you do get the upside of either interest or you know the appreciation on things, but you don't get the other benefits that you do get when you actually own the property. Now um, the when you're pulling your money together, you actually buy bigger deals and better deals, like you said with syndication. So for all the listeners, syndication is uh, another ball of wax when it comes to real estate investing. That's when you have an active investor that is the one managing the properties, running the properties, finding the deals, getting everything, running it day to day and all that sort of stuff. And then you have passive investors like Michael here that would give the money to a company. Like basically start a company with maybe five, 10 or however many investors together. You pull all your money together. So the active investor runs the business and the passive investors are part owners of the business and they get shares or not shares, but like they get if there's any cash distributions once a quarter or something like that, but they also get all the upside, all the benefits of owning a property, as opposed to like realty shares, you really only get you know make one money one way. Um, so I think syndication is a great way to go. I personally don't invest in realty shares or there's a couple other ones out there because it, for me I find that I have the time and I am I love buying properties myself. Now for other investors, realty shares or the other ones are really really good ways to invest, and so. So um, now, when it comes to your syndication, let's talk a little bit about that. If you have um, any idea of like the numbers, you said that it was, I think, um, in San Antonio. Can you tell us a little bit about your syndication and how that process went?
1: Cool. So, yeah, with the syndication, basically, I put in about thirty grand or so, and you know, it gave me a fractional ownership of the property. So I get the K one at the end of the year. I get all the tax benefits from there, um, and they. Pay me basically a preferred share of, I believe it's about 7%. So once once a time, let's say quarterly, basically I get a 7% uh, return on my money that I put in. And then basically the idea is to hold the property for five years. They're doing some basic uh, fix-ups and it's a class B property. So they're doing some basic fix-ups and trying to make sure that they can raise their rents. And once the rents are raised, then they can have the opportunity to sell the property again at a profit. And at that point, I would get a profit share as well. Um, so it's a you know it's a decent return on investment. It may not be as lucrative if I'm owning the property myself, but in terms of a, a passive type of investment, it it does pretty well. I think.
0: That's awesome. I got a couple questions for you that would help the the listeners out. So when you say preferred. Um, shares of the company. What does preferred share mean as opposed to non-preferred?
1: Sure. So when they say preferred, essentially what happens with the syndication is they'll pay the preferred shares first, meaning that when they collect all the rent coming in and they obviously pay the expenses, they have a net profit at the end that they can use to basically pay the investors. So they'll pay the preferred investors first and then they'll pay the other group. And sometimes the other group could be the operator itself. Uh, the manager of the syndication. And the reason why that's important is that if you are the investor that's passive, you don't want any conflict of interest of the operator that's in there with you. Um, So that's the kind of way of expressing, hey, we value your money that you're bringing in, and we're going to make sure that you get paid out first.
0: Yeah, I completely understand that. And that's a lot of syndications do have the preferred, but they're also unpreferred um, or non preferred um, shares as well that they don't get paid right away. Um, Also, with that $30,000, you're a fractional owner. Two questions come to mind. How much of the entire deal did that $30,000 buy you, and how many other investors are there total? Because obviously, if you put in $30,000 and you have 50 other people putting $30,000, then you're also, you know, your share gets a little lower. So tell us a bit about that.
1: Yeah. And. I can't do the the math on the fly, but I will tell you that thirty thousand out of I think the property was about ten million dollars or so. Um, So there was probably I don't know that they necessarily disclose how many investors there were, but I would have to imagine there's probably like forty or fifty or so. Okay. Um, Unless there's you know a couple people in there with like you know a million or two um, just by themselves, which is possible. Um, Oh, so you
0: don't know who the other investors are? I actually don't
1: don't know who the other investors are. Uh, I mean, I know some of them personally, but I don't know exactly who the other ones are because there's so many investors on there.
0: Got it. And so you get a 7% return on the income that is made from the property, right? Not of your 30,000 put in.
1: Uh, correct. Yeah, you're correct with that. Very
0: good. Um, and so I think the last question that I have is, would syndication be something that you would continue doing? Or would you rather be more the active investor where you buy your own properties? Like, it, Or is it maybe just another tool in your tool belt?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think it's another tool in the tool belt. Um, And again, you know, the reason why I kind of focused on the realty shares and the syndications um, during this period of my life is because I'm home with my kids during the daytime. Um, Having said that, my son's going to kindergarten next year. And, you know, if we have a downturn in the next few years, I'm definitely going to pursue more of an active role. And I want more, you know, physical properties. And, you know, it's something that's pretty... I think conservative in terms of the money that you put in, it's pretty safe in, in some regards. But again, like you were saying, there's only kind of a limited kind of appreciation upside. Um, I really admire kind of what you've done, Dustin, and you know really acquiring you know your 30 some properties and owning them you know free and clear. If 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 I were to kind of go back and if I had the time, obviously I, I did some of these more passive investments because I didn't have the time. But if I had the time, you know I'd really favor the uh, the individual single family homes or, or multi-units that you could buy on your own and own outright, you know, versus some sort of a passive investment.
0: Great. Good deal. So what is the, what is your favorite thing about real, real estate rental properties? Like what do you love about them and, and what are you encouraged by when you buy them?
1: Um, you know, the best thing about real estate is that, you know, it can take a lot of time up front um, to find the right deal. But when you find a deal, you typically know when it's a deal um, and you kind of make your money up front in that sense And that if you buy it properly, it'll pay you for life and then you can just basically write it out through different cycles and you can hold on to it indefinitely or you can sell it at the peak of a market which you had mentioned that you had done with some of your properties. Um, and so I just really love that that ability to kind of preload the investment, so to speak, and not kind of just wait for the cycles of, you know, like the real estate market. And that's not to say I'm not, you know, I'm invested in those markets as well, but they're just a little bit more passive and you have to kind of go with the ebbs and flows. With real estate though, you can actually make a difference. You can actually improve the property. Um, You can get very creative with financing. You can do so many different types of things um, to make money. And I, and I love that kind of creativity that comes along with real estate.
0: Yeah. So a lot of our, our listeners, a lot of my students that I coach, they are usually more often than not concerned about financing, how to get financing, how to make sure you have money for, you know, your first property or your 10th property. So how did you buy your first property? Was it from, you know, you sold your business, you had some cash or did you get, um, take out a mortgage on them? And, and how did you go about building your business?
1: Sure. So the first couple um, was just traditional financing. I was still, you know, working for the business. So I still had a W-2 from the business um, that I owned. And, you know, basically I applied for, um, you know, traditional financing through different, you know, I think it was like Bank of America and Wells Fargo. And, you know, initially when you do your first deal, you don't really necessarily have any history of, you know, real estate investing. They they kind of want to make sure that you're going to be okay, and so they might ask for you know a few different things. Make sure that you're you know financially sound for the first one, but after that, then you can start showing them the numbers um, for the property that you're buying, and then use some of that to basically offset um, some of the risk. And so, <clears throat> I never got beyond you know the traditional. But you know, if if I got beyond some of the traditional limitations, I know that there's a lot of ways that you can you know, pick up money from um, hard money lenders and, and whatnot um, you know, if you had to get money immediately. And I think that's one thing, even for myself in the beginning, I didn't realize was that there's, there's tons of money out there from people like you, from people like um, me that you know, are looking for deals. Um, you know, if we see a good deal and someone's willing to basically partner with you, I mean, we're going to give them money all day long.
0: Absolutely. And you, you hit the nail on the head, too, With because um, I've had some people ask me, um you know hey, would you be able to give me money i found I found a or I'm looking for a deal Would you be able to loan me money so that you be the investor and I'd be the active person? well, number one, I'm the one that usually like that's my job i I love buying properties that's something I do but number two, I ask the question so how many deals do you have like how have you ever ran a property like what's your experience with running businesses like oh well, I don't have any like it's really hard and i'll, I'll I try to give them a little food for thought that um me as being an investor knowing the business i definitely am, am concerned about giving my money to somebody that has never done it before and especially some and even though i know the business so if i need to step in i absolutely could but think about somebody else like if you go to you know your uncle who has a little bit of money and you say hey i'd like to do this and he doesn't know about investing and he now knows that you don't know about investing and he's gonna be really it's gonna be hard for him to want to give you money or some some um you know a friend or acquaintance so building up that experience and my opinion buying a single family home um, on your own and, and starting your, that experience from the beginning, you really build up credibility on yourself. So once you have two or three, four properties, then you can say, yes, I've managed properties. I've managed property managers. I have bought properties. I've, I know how to run the business. I know how to run the numbers. And then it's easier to get other financing from people that are investors like, like Michael or myself. But you also are, are absolutely right. There's plenty of money out there. It could be many different ways of either getting seller financing, using FHA loan, using Hard money lenders using blanket loans there, there's so many different ways to get financing that you know a lot of people get hung up like well i don't have the money to buy a property. you know it may, it makes money or sorry, it takes money to make money and I said, "Well, I disagree because you can actually do it in many different ways. You just need to know what's out there in order to get started and actually get the ball rolling so I 'm um, right there with you, Michael, so looking back now. Obviously, you have that big um <laughs> flaw in buying that first property, you know, not seeing that you could not rent the property. That's a huge lesson learned. Do you have any other lessons that you've learned throughout this process that you can share with the listeners?
1: Sure. Um you know, I think just you know, kind of put your head down and really you know, if you're if you're a little on edge and you you're not quite sure, you know, when to get your feet wet, I think just really Investing in yourself, taking the time to basically learn about real estate beforehand before pulling the trigger, um, is the key. It's just so that you're you're really comfortable up You understand the numbers. There's, there's definitely a learning curve that you have to basically approach. I think, and that's what I always basically suggest to my clients and when I'm coaching them is that hey, you know, let's really make sure that you're caught up to speed. And once you're ready, then you start basically firing and you execute and you execute rapid fire because usually when the deals come out, it's the people that get to them first, not the people that hesitate that actually win the deal. Um, so really kind of conditioning your mind, your mindset, like you just had said, um, so that you're ready. And really, I think getting yourself there comes with education.
0: That's, that's great. I completely, completely agree. So along with the, um, education, um, that, that, thinking you've also, you personally have now experienced firsthand experience. And hypothetically, if you were to start over again from scratch, like literally everything was taken from you for some fluke reasons from some horrible reason. And you had, you know, a thousand or $2,000 to your name and no properties, but you have experience, you have, you know how to build a business, you know what to do and, and what to look for. What would you do? Like, what are the steps that you would do and follow through in order to get on your feet and actually start building a rental property business?
1: Sure. Um, You know, if that happened to me, you know, the great thing is that you don't lose the knowledge. And so I think for myself, I'd probably do some freelance IT work just to get some of that cash flow back in my pocket, just to stabilize myself, keep my family, you know, sane. And, uh, you know, once I start saving and I would diligently save along the, you know, once I'm kind of rebuilding that that capital, um, I'd be watching the real estate markets and, and, you know, there's no question, obviously, we're going to have another dip at some point. Who knows exactly when that'll be? Um, but just watching the cycles and being able to strike, you know, when, when the fire is hot and um, it's going to happen. It's just, you know, real estate, like all other markets, to come in cycles. So if you're prepared, once those, once those come, I mean, you can make a killing and just kind of, you know, build it back from there.
0: That's, that's great. And so you touched on something that a lot of uh, my students, I have to really encourage them in and, and build into their, their budget or making sure that they're, they're doing this is saving because a lot of people think, and watch, um, you know, the HGTV type shows, or you know, the flip housing, or flip this house type of um, TV show, where they see, oh man, you know, they just bought a house. Well, how did they buy a house? You know, like, like that's the first thought. You know, I can make a ton of money um, flipping a house. Well, there's a lot before that that you need to get in order, and a big one is actually having money. And I'll tell you, it's so much easier, like it's it's night and day easier to buy a house with cash than it is to get financing or finding hard money lending or anything like that. So if you have cash, it's so much easier to buy a property. Now, if you go and buy a hundred thousand dollar house and you have a hundred thousand dollars put down, that's the easiest. You literally say, you know, here's the money or I'm going to pay cash. Let's drop the, you can make money by dropping the price. Say I'm going to give you cash at $90,000. So you're going to make save $10,000 because you have cash. Cause it's more valuable than a mortgage. But if you get a mortgage, you know, you have a lot more hoops to jump through. You have appraisals. You got to go through. You have to go through the bank and underwriting. And as well as you're going to be paying a higher dollar amount because a mortgage is not as nice looking as cash. So when you're looking at um, saving your money, you're really looking at investing in your future so that you can buy more properties so for me i saved for like every day for i want to say it was like 6 or 7 years like i i sacrificed and scrimped and saved and did everything i could to not spend money needlessly you know, on things I needed, I definitely spent. But on the things that I didn't need to spend, I saved that money because every dollar that went out that wasn't for, um, you know, a necessity for a family, I thought, man, that sh- that could go to a rental property. <laughs> you know, you know, if we're going to go on a thousand dollar trip, man, that's a thousand dollars I could spend on a rental property. I got to wait, and so I had, I waited until I got to the very end of my my life in in building my business up, um, not end of my life, but end of building the business <laughs> up to where now I am absolutely a able to live however I want because I sacrificed for, uh, you know, six, seven, eight years so that now because of all that saving, because of all that sacrificing, I now can live the life I want and travel just like you and, and, you know, not have a job and, and live a terrific life. So, you're absolutely right on. So I want to encourage everybody listening that you need to be saving. Don't think that um, you can do this business without saving. It can. You absolutely can. It's just much harder. It's a lot more work. And if you save your money and you have money to invest, you're going to do so much better and build your business much faster.
1: Yeah, no, I love like exactly what you said, Dustin, um, you know, having that money. And one thing that that I think I tell people a lot of times is that the trick to doing this is to. As you're growing your career um you're going to be getting raises along the way, or maybe you get married and you come into a second income um, is to kind of keep your lifestyle you know basically stagnant <clears throat> and you may you know you might you might increase it a little bit, but you don't have to basically increase it proportionate to the amount of money that you're making and The good thing about that is you don't necessarily feel a sense of loss um, and you can actually still feel a sense of you know increased value or, you know, you can have newer, nicer things. It's just, you don't want to keep it proportional to the amount of money that you're basically bringing in. And if you're doing that, you're able to sock away, you know, 30, 40% without even blinking an eye. And if you automate that, I mean, it's, it's weird, but it, it just basically works out and you never even miss it.
0: Absolutely. And something
1: that I
0: do with my kids, and I know Michael, you have, you have two kids, you have your son and daughter that, um, more than likely, you're gonna be smart and help them to learn how to manage their finances. So, something that I do with my kids is whenever they, well, number one, they don't make an allowance. Like, they don't just, because they're alive, they don't get money. Um, you know, all the chores and everything to do around the house, this is the way I do run my family they do that because it's a privilege to be in this family. You know, all of the great things that we do, well, we like traveling, you know, 6 weeks in Europe or 6 weeks in Japan or going to Alaska or going to Florida, whatever we do, that's a privilege to be in this family. So you don't get an allowance. You work and you, you know, clean the kitchen and do the dishes and all that sort of stuff. So, number 1, they don't get an allowance. But number 2, we homeschool our kids and we actually have workbooks that they go through throughout the entire semester like six or seven different ones from each different type of um, uh, subject they're learning. And when they finish that book, they make money. Like I pay them $10, like they're earning, that's their job is they earn money that way. But this is what I would tell for you, Michael, as well as my listeners to encourage you, if you have kids, help them to also see the value of money and so what I do when they make money let's just actually just today my uh, five-year-old brought in her preschool book and said daddy I'm done with it I'm like good for you sweetheart here here's your ten dollars so I give her ten dollars and I've done this with all my kids I teach them percentages I say okay first ten percent we give that to God we give that as tithe or we give that to charity or we give that away because we're blessed with money so we want to give. So I want to teach them from the beginning that we give. And then I, from there, 50% goes into savings. This is savings for not like, Hey, and, and next year I want to buy a, you know, a bigger bicycle. No, it's not that this is savings for when you're older and you want to buy a car or you want something big. Like we're literally saving this and not touching it. So 50% and they're ing- it's ingrained in them. 50% automatically goes into savings. Another 20% So remember, we're at 60 percent, 50 and 10. So 60 percent, 20 more percent goes to the family to pay for food, electricity, the mortgage, you know, whatever it might be. It it goes and it just it's we don't need the money, uh, obviously, but it helps them to realize, hey, life is not free. We're also working together as a family. So 20 percent goes to the family. And the last 20 percent, Of all money they get, they could spend however they want. And if they want to put in savings, they can. If they want to give it to God, they can, which has been been a blessing. My kids have actually, you know, they've taken the rest. You know, I just want to give it to God uh, because that's just fantastic. Or I want to put it in savings or I want to give it to mommy. Um, And so I would encourage you as well as the listeners that, you know, our children that we're raising up, you know, think about how you were raised. And if you were raised with good with money, that's fantastic. But a lot of us like me, I was definitely not raised that um, how to really how to save, number one, how to not go into too much debt. I mean, really, it, it was like get credit cards because you need you know, uh, to have a good credit score. Um, I was not raised to um, manage money well, but I'm really excited that I'm able to do it with my kids and encourage them and benefit them so that um, just recently, I think it was like two weeks ago, my daughter – she's 10 years old now. She said, you know what, daddy, with my savings that I'm saving up, I think she has close to like a thousand dollars now, which is great for a 10 year old to have close to a thousand dollars or somewhere around there. She said, when I get older, when I have that money, I'm not going to buy a car with it. I'm going to buy a house that makes me money. (laughs) (laughs) And then I could buy a car with that money. I said, add a girl. That is awesome. I will help you do that. (laughs) So hopefully that encourages you and and Michael, as
1: well as the listeners. But,
0: um, really we want to pass that down to our kids.
1: Yeah, no, I, I really love that, Dustin, especially, you know, kind of tithing from the get-go. Um, <clears throat> you know, the funny thing about, you know, tithing from the get-go, too, and it applies to real estate investing, and I think just the wealth in general, is that if you feel like you have enough to give and share with other people um, and God with, you know, whatever you believe spiritually, um, it actually, you just feel that much wealthier in your own life, and the funny thing is that you're... For some reason, and I find this you know, with all these people that I talk to, there's kind of this psychological switch that happens in your brain, and then you're able to actually accumulate more wealth. It's, it's kind of bizarre, but um, it's just this, kind of this thing that I've noticed um, that when you're out there giving, you know, the more you're going to receive in return. Um, and so just being able to kind of set that foundation for your kids is, is huge wholeheartedly
0: agree. Yeah. The more I give the, the number, uh, number one, the better I feel, or the more I feel like I'm not hampered by like money doesn't control me. And, but number two, the more money I make, it's really weird. Like I give more and I make more. It's almost like God saying, Hey, you're being a good steward of this, the money that I give you. I know you're good with this money. I'm going to give you some more so you can handle that more. And every little bit more that I get, he just keeps saying, as long as you keep getting, being a good steward of it, I'm going to keep allowing you to be more. So I'm right there with you. Michael, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we sign off?
1: Um, no, it's just you know it's just been my absolute pleasure, Dustin, and and seeing what you've done is a real inspiration, even to me. Um, I still consider myself a novice real estate investor. I'm obviously constantly learning and growing. Um, I've I've got tons of different projects in the in the works, but you know I'm kind of waiting for that next downturn and whatnot. And for all your listeners out there, you know the time is now to basically get ready. And when the time comes. Um, and the downturn happens. I think that's when you can make a killing. So, um, just yeah, strategize, um, be prepared, and when the time is right, don't don't get an analysis paralysis.
0: That's great. Good points. All right, Michael. So, how can people reach you and um, you know see what you're doing and what you're working on?
1: Sure, you can go to my website. It's called financiallyalert.com, and what I talk about there is typically about financial independence, um, retiring early. And if, basically, if you're if you're interested in finding another path than the traditional nine to five, um, you know that's kind of the site for you. I talk about you know different strategies of creating income. Um, I also have an FBA business and do some coaching and other streams of income. So <clears throat> real estate is definitely an important part of it, but it's not you know the whole piece. So <clears throat> if you're interested in diversifying your your streams of income, um, yeah, come by and say hello.
0: That's awesome. And I've checked out your site and I'm super amazed and everybody's going to want to check this out. You actually post your, uh, is it your bank account or your stock account? But you, you literally post how much money you have. It's inside your accounts and how much you're working with, how much you're investing, correct?
1: I pretty much put out, yeah, my entire cash flow for the, for the month. And then as well as the net worth. So I kind of break it out in terms of allocation, how much is in properties, how much is in um you know the markets equity markets and bonds and things of that nature um so yeah it's it's an open book and the reason why I did that is because i realized you know 20 years ago when i was you know younger i really wanted to kind of see the details i wanted to see the money i wanted to see the numbers and so just trying to share that out there i don't know how long i'll do that for but for <laughs> now it's it's a wide open book so yeah you're you're brave
0: You and your wife are brave because my wife would definitely never let me do that. (laughs) Showing all of our numbers out to the public, she would say, no, take that down. Actually, she did right away. The the closest thing I got to that was when I was – first starting my, my uh, blog and podcast and courses and everything, when I first started masterpassiveincome.com, I hadn't quit my job yet. And I felt kind of like a fraud because I was, I was like a year or two away. I was just kind of gun shy, but I knew I wanted to start teaching. I wanted to help people because I was already going to be blessed to be able to quit my job. And so what I did was at the top of my website, on the top right-hand corner, it it was a countdown timer saying, I will quit my job in, you know, 40, uh, you know, 400 days and 38 minutes or something like that. Like it was a literally every day it would count down. And so I did that and I felt like, man, this is, this is uh, a stretch for me because what if my boss sees it? And what's funny, he actually did see it. He's no, all, no. <laughs> he did. And he goes, Hey, so uh, somebody told me you're planning on quitting your job. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> it was, it was awkward, but it was, when I walked away, I was like, Oh, man, that was funny. So, I mean, there's that's, nothing you can do hilarious. about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, Michael, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And everybody listening, go over to his site, check it out, financiallyalert.com. Um, great, great stuff. And if anything, just for um, awesome amusement's sake, check out his net worth and check out everything he does. It's it's amazing how much um, he puts out there that, that he really shows. He's very transparent. So, great, Michael. It was great having you. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Dustin. I appreciate it. All right, all you Master Passive Income podcast listeners. Now, this ends the show, but before we do sign off for today, I want to remind you that I have a free course for you. If you go to masterpassiveincome.com forward slash free course, I am going to give you a free starter kit, a free course. That will help you get started investing in real estate rental properties and it'll show you the great things that are in store for you when you start investing your money in real estate. And you can also check out the podcast show notes at masterpassiveincome.com forward slash zero two nine. Alright guys, great having you with me today. Thank you again. If you would please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It'll really help out reach a lot more people to help them change their life with real estate. All right, guys, get out there, start investing. I'll see you soon. Take care of yourselves. See ya.